Hi guys, this is Paul Capon from the Innovation Community. Today, I'm here with Arma Inam, former head of advanced analytics at Nike and vice president of data science and advanced analytics at Cambia Health Solutions. Uh, Arma has spent his career leading organizational transformation using data, technology, information systems, analytics, and data products in a, in a diverse array of sectors. I'm sure he won't mind me saying. Great to have you with us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. I touched a little bit on, on your background there. Tell us a bit about yourself in a few words. Yeah, I really consider myself to be an evangelist of data science. And I would say using data to drive business decisioning. Most of my career had really been around that. And I got a bug for that when I was uh, in grad school. And I got the chance to uh, work on research uh, with the National Science Foundation Research Center at Texas A&M University. And we were really doing some really interesting work around improving participation and performance of women and minorities in higher ed science and engineering programs and just being able to utilize data to understand perceptions and behaviors and attitudes and then figure out ways to to transform and and, and it was just fascinating and i just got sucked into it from there on <laughs> and what did your professional career start in the field uh that kind of really started uh and then uh, i had a small stint at it um National Instruments, uh, uh, back in the 2003, actually, we were building neural networks to understand different consumer paths uh, and interaction behavior on the, their uh, digital portals. And we were way ahead of the time. And uh, from there on, went into banking, Wachovia Bank uh, at that point. And uh, what was unique about that bank is that it led with consumer centricity. Um, and in fact, was rated consistently year after year as the number one bank in the country uh, for consumer satisfaction. So, uh, again, ahead of its time, I mean, we're still seeing a lot of the people are talking about lifetime value and consumer centricity and this and that. But uh, we were already championing that and our, all of our uh, uh, business strategies were centered around that. Mm. And yeah. you clearly come across as someone who has a passion for the, the space. What really interests you about working with data? Uh, for me, data is really the language or the currency of our society, like granted that is captured. Um, it tells us everything about who we are, uh, what our attitudes and perceptions are, how we interact, um, all of our uh, uh, interaction impacts and, and societal biases and, and everything, right? It's, it's captured well, it's there. It's, it's, a, it's a life story of our, our life, in a, of human life, in a way. And what I enjoy about that is just that the frame of mind that it's, it's, it's us, it's humans, right? Data is us. And getting into that, then uh, we can learn so much about ourselves and then figure out how best to use that data for the right uses. And, I, and, and I'm a huge proponent of ethical use of data and ethical use of AI. Um, and then from that perspective, like what can we continue to do with the data to augment human life? And then that, that you know, in a nutshell, uh, continues to drive my passion around it. Yeah. And I think whether people are using it to, uh, you know, improve manufacturing processes or to, yeah. to help people and to, to make people better, um, yeah. as, lo as long as they're not using it for nefarious purposes, it can be a really, <laughs> really powerful tool. Uh, what are some of the major successes you've achieved over your career? Yeah, I mean, just so many. It's just uh, been a, over 20 years of career, right? Uh, but at a, at a high level, uh, 
one of the first, I think the first uh, micro-segmentation in retail banking, uh, my team rebuilt it uh, back in Wachovia. Uh, we built, uh, when I was at Quero, uh, ESPN's fan engagement strategy and ESPN.com's, essentially their entire fan engagement strategy in association with driving the engagement on their digital platform. So, um, so that was fascinating work. Uh, did fractional attribution, uh, response attribution, again, people are still talking about it, uh, back, back almost uh, seven, eight years ago for Green Mountain Coffee. Um, then Sonic Automotive, uh, the first in the industry predictive pricing and inventory system to eliminate consumer point, pain points and, and, and eliminate the need for negotiation. So truly honing on transparency-based pricing uh, modeling and uh, consumer likelihood to pay-based models for building and, and, and in, uh, getting inventory of cars, automobiles. Um, and then Nike, I mean, there's so much amazing work there. Uh, from predicting demand, uh, uh, from consumer demand for products that are in uh, high demand but but low supply, so scarce products, footwear products, to predicting uh, consumer trends a year before they're likely to hit with leading indicators, to honing in into uh, hyper-local levels and understanding consumer dynamics there. So a lot of the Nike's uh, consumer-led strategy, uh, many of those kind of uh, hold in on some of the foundational work that we did there. And, and then at Cambia, uh, truly again, bringing consumer experience uh, into healthcare. I mean, US healthcare is, is not consumer friendly and that's the bottom line. And we did some great work around trying to bring more transparency and giving the power back to the consumers through the mediums of augmented data that we were sharing back with the consumers uh, and, and applications so that consumers can own their own uh, healthcare journey. Yes, yeah, so some fantastic. And, and as I've said a, a bit now, really, really diverse as well as how you're using that. Tell me about yeah. a time that you affected change in a major organization and also some of the challenges that came with that. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, if I were to talk about the, I mean, I have some great examples from Nike, but uh, like I'll go back to, and then actually that's where kind of I built and hone in on a human-centered design-based approach to driving AI, because again, building a system or a process for adoption from day zero is extremely, extremely critical. And very early in my career, I learned that if, the data products you're building are not getting used or utilized by the business, then, then what's the point? Uh, and I've seen many organizations fail or kind of build, build products and then kind of move on and hope that somebody would use it. Uh, so if we build it, they will come. That approach just doesn't work. So embracing the, as an analytics leader, I have very early in my career embraced the role of a change manager or change agent. And I truly kind of approached it that way. So one thing, um, for example, several examples at Nike, but let me go back to Sonic Automotive because that was a really interesting environment. So Sonic Automotive is one of the largest automotive retail in, in the US, largest uh, retailer of BMWs by volume globally, in fact. Uh, relatively unknown as a name uh, in the public sector, but, but very large enterprise, 12 billion in revenue. They wanted to, their COO had a great vision at that point, And he said like, listen, our, we operate in an industry that is one of the leading cause for driving anxiety among Americans, which is the car buying process. But it's so not transparent and not consumer centric. And he wanted to change that. And uh, 
so he had the vision and then he very early latched on to the idea that it could be led with data analytics and technology, a combination of those two and bringing it all to life. And uh, at the end of that, the moment of truth really was the car sales folks, right? The sales force themselves. And many of them didn't come from technically uh, detailed background uh, and, and in you know, high school diplomas and stuff. So mathematical concepts and all can be extremely tricky and especially if you're changing process. And it's an industry that has a muscle memory of how it operates in the, in, in the US, right? So we wanted to change that muscle memory of the organization itself. So that took a lot of effort in education going into the field again uh, human centering is critical so we actually went uh, even my my analytics teams and data scientists we actually went and spent days in the field with the uh, sales folks just understanding and then seeing them work understanding what they're doing how they talk to consumers observing the consumers uh, so before we even like, uh, I mean, we had some hypotheses and we were generating hypotheses for the data collection to build these models by observing people interacting in the field. And actually, once we did that, the other thing that it did was that it helped us build that sense of confidence and rapport with the folks who were supposed to use the data in the end. And then that transparency we brought into the process built that trust with them. And they felt that they were being heard because there, is, there are so many nuances in that moment of truth when the interaction between a salesperson and a consumer and a customer is happening, um, not all data gets captured. So being able to be part to part of that, right, helped us out. And, and then when we built the initial models, and then some of our initial models are generally pretty crappy, and we ran it with them, and then they, we showed them the factors that were coming up important, and they felt, they felt uh, respected, and they felt hurt, right? Um, so, so the adoption over time became much easier. Plus, we were able to improve the model because there were things that were just not right, uh, things that were off, and then they were able to provide us all the context that we didn't have because, again, we were we, we were not selling the car. So, it's that human centricity based approach, uh, giving respect for the people who are going to use the product, and then building the product for the people with them. And, and in, in the end, the, the transformation that we drove with that was tremendous because we were also able to show them not just how this new process is going to be good for the business, but it's also going to be good for the consumers and, and it's going to help sell more vehicles and in better margins over time. Um, so showing that the value, even from the monetary perspective, even down to that level where they don't generally see that information was very powerful in, in, in driving that transformation. So I would say I'm a huge, again, coming from game theory, I have some background in game theory as well. And uh, I do, uh, I have some re done some research around synchronous and asynchronous information. And, and in, in that, this case, to build that trust with the end users, we really had to synchronize information across every touch point to build that sense of trust, uh, to drive that transformation. Hmm. Yeah, and you, a lot of what you, you, you talk about is, is more about people than it is models. But that being said, how are you currently seeing organizations leveraging new AI and machine learning models for business success? Yeah, so where I'm seeing it is that uh, there's a lot of hype. <laughs> if you look at the Gartner hype cycle around AI, and then I'm also seeing that um, AI is being used to describe anything and everything. I mean, and in fact, uh, the running joke is that if you are in Silicon Valley and you're talking to investors, you tell them it's deep learning, 
And uh, when you are hiring folks for your team, you tell them it's machine learning, but what gets implemented in the end is a logistic regression. Uh, so so there, there is a lot of hype around it. So uh, in the end, I mean, hype is good because it's making people more aware of the power of data and what it can do. What is also in a way not good is that a lot of the companies don't have a good sense or good awareness of their readiness uh, for utilizing AI and then also their readiness from the quality of the data that they have and then also the readiness from a uh, corporate culture uh, and, and alignment perspective. So there's a lot that needs to be to happen before a company is ready to utilize. But typically what I'm seeing is that processes that can be automated and can, can augment, uh, especially on the operation side, uh, more and more companies are using more AI-based. So the idea really is that if you think about uh, homogeneity and, and heterogeneity of information, right? So information versus decision. So if you have um, homogeneous data coming in, driving homogeneous decisions, you can automate that fairly simply and easily with uh, predictive analytics-based mechanisms, right? And when you have heterogeneous information coming in to drive heterogeneous decisions, human brain is just not, cannot comprehend the amount of data and complexity in the history, right? We are biased to our own most recent experiences and we're driving multiple decision points and then, then humans are not good at that. So, so any kind of an operations and systems, uh, an example could be uh, real time uh, auction bidding for digital display ads, right? So, AI in that in that capacity is is a great 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 perfect solution, and successes that I'm seeing are organizations that understand and realize where the best use cases of AI are, and it can be in manufacturing, IOTs, uh, where low touch to no touch human interaction, or in many cases augmentation. Um, the augment purely augmentation component that I'm seeing is in um, operations, so customer support and then things like that where or supply chain operations primarily, so where you're seeing um, a human uh, decisioning process being augmented. So you have heterogeneous data coming in, some sort of an AI ML operating off of it to provide an insight or a nudge to a human decision maker to augment their experiences so you can, they can bring art and size to drive a homogeneous outcome, right? So that's where I'm seeing the more integration with a human at the center of it. Um, does that, yeah. Yeah, that answers the question. And, and I want to latch onto a piece that you mentioned uh, organizations are not ready from a corporate culture yeah. perspective. Uh, how, how are you engaging and communicating with some of these senior leadership teams? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that, uh, and it's, it's a good thing that it's getting taught more and more. We are on average about six to eight years for many core companies. Um, out since those companies have put their initial investment in analytics, right? And then the CFOs are asking for ROI on it. And if you look at the Gartner study that came out recently, 87% of data science projects don't materialize, right? They don't come out of the POC stage. So the failure rate is very high. And uh, Tom Davenport's organization, a new Vantage partner, they do an annual survey uh, around assessing the impediments to adoption. And then consistently for the last three, four years, the top three are uh, lack of organizational alignment, uh, issues around the company culture, um, and then the third being uh, 
readiness from their data strategy perspective. So the, and I've seen in personally in my experience too, is that coming in, uh, the exec layer want to do something, but there's a lack of awareness or understanding of uh, how good data needs to be before you can pivot into some of these more advanced, sophisticated use cases of AI. So the way, um, having gone through some of my own failures in this space, the way I'm approaching this now is uh, I'm doing a readiness assessment in terms of where we are from a maturity perspective as an organization, data readiness, cultural issues, domain problems, alignment, alignment in the sense that CIOs versus CTOs versus CMOs, and those battlegrounds are out there, right? And that makes the role of a CTO or a CAO extremely challenging because when you have functionally deep roles, like the CFO or a CIO, they can can bring change and then then run their business, um, uh, even though they are also in the transformational component, but, but they go deep, right? And then they can operate almost like an authoritative figure uh, uh, sitting on top of a function. The role of a CDO and a CEO is more challenging because they have to grow across all functions and convince and influence them. And many organizations, the CAO or CDOs are new hires, so they don't understand the cultural currency of the organization. So you have to understand the politics, where 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 the influencers and the detractors are, what the history is. So the, the cards are actually generally against against your favor. Um, and then also many companies try to hire uh, technologists into those roles because they don't uh, uh, appreciate or, or they don't put too much emphasis that this is essentially a change management role. And, and when the position is not set up right, uh, as far as its level in the organization is concerned, and you're kind of, especially in larger organization, the, the leaders of analytics kind of pitched against the middle management layer in uh, and it's like, you know, go drive change. It's, you know, again, a joke is like middle management is where in most companies, good ideas go to die. So, and, and, and it's, it's such a bad place to start analytics because then you, you are not setting it up for success because again, most of the, 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 the work of these leaders end up in trying to drive that alignment and um, trying to, generate use case and this and that, and then the turf wars and the battles. And I, again, I have a lot of that uh, from the weeds, stories from my peers on, on, on fighting that battle to, to bring analytics onto the table. And it, it's a consistent issue. Um, so I would, I'm seeing that more and more organizations are talking about this as an issue because they're not being able to truly uh, drive or, or gain value from their investment in analytics. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we've uh, you know we touched on a few case studies. We've we've heard a lot about you know the, the the great career that you've had. But in your opinion, what was the biggest mistake that you made during your career? I think the earliest uh, in my career, it was really the the idea that you know we have data, we have data science, we have amazing people who can do truly remarkable things with data, and we will build it, and then people would love it and use it. So just that uh, sort of a naive uh, of dreams. Thinking, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, and this is again like, you know, to quote a famous movie, if, if we build it, they will come. Uh, it, it, it was a very uh, a mistake earlier in the career that, you know, we built this amazing thing and why won't they like it? And why won't they use it? And why are they asking more and more questions? We did all the due diligence. And, 
and uh, over time kind of this realization occurred that it, it's a team sport you have to bring both sides together and then the trust and transparency and then also understanding the uh, the uh, cultural and in political nuances of the organizations are, are critical. But yeah, that was a mistake very early in the career. So just kind of build the best thing possible and put it out there and people will just use it. Hmm. <laughs> and that sounded like that's a conclusion that you came to through self-reflection and, and throughout your mm-hmm. experiences. Yeah. What's the best piece of advice you ever received externally? Uh, externally, I think the best piece of advice I would say is, and it, and it still is, that be humble uh and i know this is not an ai or or a technical advice but humility is extremely critical because coming you know if you come to the table i mean as an engineer my background is in engineering i I like to believe that i can solve any problem right uh but but again coming to the table with humility in the sense that we don't know everything and we don't have answers to everything and we need to bring people together and we need to listen, listen more, talk less, because with listening and then bringing that sense of humility and vulnerability to the table and then be able to speak with people and connect with people as people really ends up making your AI and ML people centric. Because in the end, the purpose of AI at its most foundation is to augment human life. And if you, if you don't bring human or people centricity into it, uh, we will not build products that will uh, that will be driving the change that that AI has a vision for. Mm. Yeah, so that's and, that sense of humility as well. And then the other, essentially, in conjunction with that, uh, we don't know everything, and then and then and and be humble about saying and acknowledging that we don't know everything. Mm. Yeah, fantastic advice. Yeah. And assume the person you're listening to know something that you don't uh last question then what advice would you give for aspiring leaders in in data science and ai and ml um so from the leader's perspective and again it is the same message one is uh it's it's one of the nike's maxim is 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 uh close to that and it's it's really um the master the fundamentals right master the fundamentals it's it's so critical and what i see is um, and I learn more from failures than successes, just as just the way I am. And, and uh, that's kind of how a lot of my dialogue with my colleagues and, and peers and friends have been. It's kind of collectively learning from our mistakes. And, and really what we see are failures around when the data and science or analytics leaders are flying too high to where they, they lose a sense for uh, what they represent, right? So which is, the voice of objectivity and the data and and then being able to explain what their team does being able to understand and explain the algorithms they're using right so if you're flying too high and you're not able to explain and and i've seen some cases where misrepresentations happen when you're not you, you don't have that one foot connected to the team so make sure that you always have that one foot connected to the team because the team is what's doing everything to make sure that you as a leader or I as a leader represent them the best to drive the change that we are trying to do. So, so again, mastering the fundamentals is critical. Being able, And then what I mean by that is being able to explain AI or ML or predictive analytics methods and approaches in an approachable way that people can understand. Uh, because in most cases, leadership in C-suite 
um, they lack data lit literacy, analytics literacy, and, 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 and of course, by default, AI or ML. When I've been in conversations where people, members of C-Switch will say, you have all the data, just go do something with AI. And we're like, what? I mean, you have to give us a problem, right? And what I've learned is that most organizations are not good at asking that question. So, so that would be my third thing is connect with the people, listen to them, and help them ask the right questions. Uh, that would be because that those right questions will help drive the right types of data products that will drive the business change. And then listen to, and the, the fourth thing I would say is don't try to boil the ocean. Start small, pick a problem that is large enough to matter, but small enough to solve. And, and then hone in on that and deliver, deliver it. Show the value because value is the, the is the, it all comes down to that. I mean, that again is the currency within the organization because that is what's going to drive everything else from there on. Much great advice there from Amit Inam, data and analytics leader. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Paul, for having me. Have a good day.